Part One, Chapter Three of O Pioneers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. O Pioneers by Willa Cather, Part One, The Wild Land, Chapter Three. One Sunday afternoon in July, six months after John Bergson's death, Carl was sitting in the doorway of the Lindstrom kitchen, dreaming over an illustrated paper, when he heard the rattle of a wagon along the hill road. Looking up, he recognized the Bergson's team, with two seats in the wagon, which meant they were off for a pleasure excursion. Oscar and Lou, on the front seat, wore their cloth hats and coats, never worn except on Sundays, and Emil, on the second seat with Alexandra, sat proudly in his new trousers, made from a pair of his father's, and a pink striped shirt with a wide ruffled collar. Oscar stopped the horses and waved to Carl, who caught up his hat and ran through the melon patch to join them. Want to go with us? Lou called. We're going to Crazy Ivar's to buy a hammock. Sure. Carl ran up panting, and clambering over the wheel, sat down beside Emil. I've always wanted to see Ivar's pond. They say it's the biggest in all the country. Aren't you afraid to go to Ivar's in that new shirt, Emil? He might want it, and take it right off your back. Emil grinned. I'd be awful scared to go, he admitted, if you big boys weren't along to take care of me. Did you ever hear him howl, Carl? People say sometimes he runs about the country howling at night because he is afraid the Lord will destroy him. Mother thinks he must have done something awful wicked. Lou looked back and winked at Carl. What would you do, Emil, if you was out on the prairie by yourself and seen him coming? Emil stared. Maybe I could hide in a badger hole, he suggested doubtfully. But suppose there wasn't any badger hole, Lou persisted. Would you run? No, I'd be too scared to run, Emil admitted mournfully, twisting his fingers. I guess I'd sit right down on the ground and say my prayers. The big boys laughed, and Oscar brandished his whip over the broad backs of the horses. He wouldn't hurt you, Emil, said Carl persuasively. He came to Dr. R. Mare when she ate green corn and swelled up most as big as the water tank. He petted her just like you do your cats. I couldn't understand much he said, for he don't talk any English, but he kept patting her and groaning as if he had the pain himself, and saying, There now, sister, that's easier, that's better. Lou and Oscar laughed, and Emil giggled delightedly and looked up at his sister. I don't think he knows anything at all about doctoring, said Oscar scornfully. They say when horses have distemper he takes the medicine himself and then prays over the horses. Alexandra spoke up. That's what the crows said, but he cured their horses all the same. Some days his mind is cloudy-like, but if you can get him on a clear day, you can learn a great deal from him. He understands animals. Didn't I see him take the horn off the Berquist's cow when she had torn it loose and went crazy? She was tearing all over the place, knocking herself against things, and at last she ran out on the roof of the old dugout and her legs went through and there she stuck, bellowing. Ivar came running with his white bag, and the moment he got to her she was quiet and let him saw her horn off and daub the place with tar. Emil had been watching his sister, his face reflecting the sufferings of the cow. 
"'And then it didn't hurt her any more?' he asked. Alexandra patted him. "'No, not any more. And in two days they could use her milk again.' The road to Ivar's homestead was a very poor one. He had settled in the rough country across the county line, where no one lived but some Russians, half a dozen families who dwelt together in one long house, divided off like barracks. Ivar had explained his choice by saying that the fewer neighbors he had, the fewer temptations. Nevertheless, when one considered that his chief business was horse-doctoring, it seemed rather short-sighted of him to live in the most inaccessible place he could find. The Berkson wagon lurched along over the rough hummocks and grass banks, followed the bottom of winding draws, or skirted the margin of wide lagoons, where the golden coreopsis grew up out of the clear water, and the wild ducks rose with a whirr of wings. Lou looked after them helplessly. "'I wish I'd brought my gun anyway, Alexandra,' he said fretfully. "'I could have hidden it under the straw in the bottom of the wagon.' Then we'd have had to lie to Ivar. Besides, they say he can smell dead birds. And if he knew, we wouldn't get anything out of him, not even a hammock. I want to talk to him, and he won't talk sense if he's angry. It makes him foolish. Lou sniffed. Whoever heard of him talking sense anyhow? I'd rather have ducks for supper than crazy Ivar's tongue. Emil was alarmed. Oh, but Lou, you don't want to make him mad. He might howl. They all laughed again, and Oscar urged the horses up the crumbling side of a clay bank. They had left the lagoons and the red grass behind them. In Crazy Ivar's country the grass was short and gray, the draws deeper than they were in the Bergson's neighborhood, and the land was all broken up into hillocks and clay ridges. The wild flowers disappeared, and only in the bottom of the draws and gullies grew a few of the very toughest and hardiest, shoestring and ironweed and snow on the mountain. "'Look, look, Emil, there's Ivar's big pond!' Alexandra pointed to a shining sheet of water that lay at the bottom of a shallow draw. At one end of the pond was an earthen dam, planted with green willow bushes, and above it a door and a single window were set into the hillside. You would not have seen them at all but for the reflection of the sunlight upon the four panes of window-glass. And that was all you saw—not a shed— not a corral, not a well, not even a path broken in the curly grass. But for the piece of rusty stove-pipe sticking up through the sod, you could have walked over the roof of Ivar's dwelling without dreaming that you were near a human habitation. Ivar had lived for three years in the clay bank, without defiling the face of nature any more than the coyote that had lived there before him had done. When the Bergsons drove over the hill, Ivar was sitting in the doorway of his house, reading the Norwegian Bible. He was a queerly shaped old man, with a thick, powerful body set on short bow-legs. His shaggy white hair, falling in a thick mane about his ruddy cheeks, made him look older than he was. He was barefoot, but he wore a clean shirt of unbleached cotton, open at the neck. He always put on a clean shirt when Sunday morning came round, though he never went to church. He had a peculiar religion of his own, and could not get on with any of the denominations. Often he did not see anybody from one week's end to another. He kept a calendar, and every morning he checked off a day, so that he was never in any doubt as to which day of the week it was. 
Ivar hired himself out in threshing and corn-husking time, and he doctored sick animals when he was sent for. When he was at home, he made hammocks out of twine, and committed chapters of the Bible to memory. Ivar found contentment in the solitude he had sought out for himself. He disliked the litter of human dwellings, the broken food, the bits of broken china, the old wash-boilers and tea-kettles thrown into the sunflower-patch. He preferred the cleanness and tidiness of the wild sod. He always said that the badgers had cleaner houses than people, and that when he took a housekeeper her name would be Mrs. Badger. He best expressed his preference for his wild homestead by saying that his Bible seemed truer to him there. If one stood in the doorway of his cave, and looked off at the rough land, the smiling sky, the curly grass white in the hot sunlight, if one listened to the rapturous song of the lark, the drumming of the quail, the burr of the locust against that vast silence, one understood what Ivar meant. On this Sunday afternoon his face shone with happiness. He closed the book on his knee, keeping the place with his horny finger, and repeated softly, He sendeth the springs into the valleys, which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted. Where the birds make their nest, as for the stork, the fir-trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats, and the rocks for the conies. Before he opened his Bible again, Ivar heard the Bergson's wagon approaching, and he sprang up and ran toward it. "'No guns! No guns!' he shouted, waving his arms distractedly. "'No, Ivar! No guns!' Alexandra called reassuringly. He dropped his arms and went up to the wagon, smiling amiably and looking at them out of his pale blue eyes. "'We want to buy a hammock if you have one,' Alexandra explained, "'and my little brother here wants to see your big pond, where so many birds come.' Ivar smiled foolishly, and began rubbing the horses' noses and feeling about their mouths behind the bits. "'Not many birds just now.' A few ducks this morning, and some snipe come to drink. But there was a crane last week. She spent one night and came back the next evening. I don't know why. It is not her season, of course. Many of them go over in the fall. Then the pond is full of strange voices every night. Alexandra translated for Carl, who looked thoughtful. Ask him, Alexandra, if it is true that a seagull came here once. I have heard so. She had some difficulty in making the old man understand. He looked puzzled at first, then smote his hands together as he remembered. Oh, yes, yes, a big white bird with long wings and pink feet. My, what a voice she had! She came in the afternoon and kept flying about the pond and screaming until dark. She was in trouble of some sort, but I could not understand her. She was going over to the other ocean, maybe, and did not know how far it was. She was afraid of never getting there. She was more mournful than our birds here. She cried in the night. She saw the light from my window and darted up to it. Maybe she thought my house was a boat. She was such a wild thing. Next morning, when the sun rose, I went out to take her food, but she flew up into the sky and went on her way. Ivar ran his fingers through his thick hair. I have many strange birds stop with me here. They come from very far away and are great company. I hope you boys never shoot wild birds." Lou and Oscar grinned, and Ivar shook his bushy head. Yes, I know, boys are thoughtless. But these wild things are God's birds. 
He watches over them and counts them, as we do our cattle. Christ says so in the New Testament. Now, Ivar, Lou asked, may we water our horses at your pond and give them some feed? It's a bad road to your place. Yes, yes, it is. The old man scrambled about and began to loose the tugs. A bad road, eh, girls? And the bay with a colt at home? Oscar brushed the old man aside. We'll take care of the horses, Ivar. You'll be finding some disease on them. Alexandra wants to see your hammocks. Ivar led Alexandra and Emil to his little cave house. He had but one room, neatly plastered and whitewashed, and there was a wooden floor. There was a kitchen stove, a table covered with oilcloth, two chairs, a clock, a calendar, a few books on the window shelf, nothing more. But the place was as clean as a cupboard. But where do you sleep, Ivar? Emil asked, looking about. Ivar unslung a hammock from a hook on the wall. In it was rolled a buffalo robe. There, my son, a hammock is a good bed, and in winter I wrap up in this skin. Where I go to work, the beds are not half so easy as this. By this time, Emil had lost all his timidity. He thought a cave a very superior kind of house. There was something pleasantly unusual about it, and about Ivar. Do the birds know you will be kind to them, Ivar? Is that why so many come? he asked. Ivar sat down on the floor and tucked his feet under him. See, little brother, they have come from a long way, and they are very tired. From up there where they are flying, our country looks dark and flat. They must have water to drink and to bathe in before they can go on with their journey. They look this way and that, and far below them they see something shining like a piece of glass set in the dark earth. That is my pond. They come to it and are not disturbed. Maybe I sprinkle a little corn. They tell the other birds, and next year more come this way. They have their roads up there, as we have down here. Emil rubbed his knees thoughtfully. And is it true, Ivar, about the head ducks falling back when they are tired, and the hind ones taking their place? Yes, the point of the wedge gets the worst of it. They cut the wind. They can only stand it there a little while, half an hour maybe. Then they fall back and the wedge splits a little, while the rear ones come up the middle to the front. Then it closes up and they fly on, with a new edge. They are always changing like that, up in the air. Never any confusion, just like soldiers who have been drilled. Alexandra had selected her hammock by the time the boys came up from the pond. They would not come in, but sat in the shade of the bank outside, while Alexandra and Ivar talked about the birds, and about his housekeeping, and why he never ate meat, fresh or salt. Alexandra was sitting on one of the wooden chairs, her arms resting on the table. Ivar was sitting on the floor at her feet. "'Ivar,' she said suddenly, beginning to trace the pattern on the oilcloth with her forefinger, I came today more because I wanted to talk to you than because I wanted to buy a hammock. Yes? The old man scraped his bare feet on the plank floor. We have a big bunch of hogs, Ivar. I wouldn't sell in the spring when everybody advised me to, and now so many people are losing their hogs that I am frightened. What can be done? Ivar's little eyes began to shine. They lost their vagueness. You feed them swill and such stuff? Of course. And sour milk? Oh, yes. And keep them in a stinking pen? I tell you, sister, the hogs of this country are put upon. 
They become unclean, like the hogs in the Bible. If you kept your chickens like that, what would happen? You have a little sorghum patch, maybe. Put a fence around it, and turn the hogs in. Build a shed to give them shade, a thatch on poles. Let the boys haul water to them in barrels, clean water, and plenty. Get them off the old stinking ground, and do not let them go back there until winter. Give them only grain and clean feed, such as you would give horses or cattle. Hogs do not like to be filthy. The boys outside the door had been listening. Lou nudged his brother. Come, the horses are done eating. Let's hitch up and get out of here. He'll fill her full of notions. She'll be having the pigs sleep with us next. Oscar grunted and got up. Carl, who could not understand what Ivar said, saw that the two boys were displeased. They did not mind hard work, but they hated experiments, and could never see the use of taking pains. Even Lou, who was more elastic than his older brother, disliked to do anything different from their neighbors. He felt that it made them conspicuous, and gave people a chance to talk about them. Once they were on the homeward road, the boys forgot their ill-humor and joked about Ivar and his birds. Alexandra did not propose any reforms in the care of the pigs, and they hoped she had forgotten Ivar's talk. They agreed that he was crazier than ever, and would never be able to prove up on his land because he worked it so little. Alexandra privately resolved that she would have a talk with Ivar about this and stir him up. The boys persuaded Carl to stay for supper and go swimming in the pasture pond after dark. That evening, after she had washed the supper dishes, Alexandra sat down on the kitchen doorstep while her mother was mixing the bread. It was a still, deep-breathing summer night, full of the smell of the hayfields. Sounds of laughter and splashing came up from the pasture. And when the moon rose rapidly above the bare rim of the prairie, the pond glittered like polished metal, and she could see the flash of white bodies as the boys ran about the edge or jumped into the water. Alexandra watched the shimmering pool dreamily, but eventually her eyes went back to the sorghum patch south of the barn, where she was planning to make her new pig corral. End of chapter three of part one.